0: Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. Uh, really excited today because we have kind of a double whammy. Uh, normally, this is a one-to-one conversation today. It's a two-on-one Uh, A a whole multi-generational version uh, as I get to sit down with a good friend of mine, Nancy Beach, and her daughter, Samantha Beach-Kylie. Nance and uh, Samantha, welcome to our podcast today. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having Uh, us.
0: uh, I understand that today is a massive day for the two of you, so (laughs) let's start there and uh, just share what it is that you're celebrating, just to get that out there from the get-go.
2: Well, uh, in the United States, it's actually Flag Day. But what's more important to us is that it's the launch day for our book, which uh, those of us who write books are always astounded how long the whole process can take. And it feels like it's been forever. So it's just a real thrill to have it now available.
0: Samantha, this is your first book, correct?
1: Yes, it is. So
0: how does that feel?
1: It's wild. It's wild. I'm so grateful. And, um, you know, you forget that someone's going to read it eventually because you spend so much time behind the scenes working on it. And so it's it's just a joy to share it with people today.
0: Nancy was saying before we hit record that you got a little party set up today uh, in a, a local bookstore. And isn't that going to be wild? The first time you see someone actually pull out currency to, yes. to acquire this that you're, they'll be part of it. That's like, are you sure you want to do that? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Totally. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally,
1: totally. You know, I told my husband, I'm like, there's already parts that I wish I could rewrite, which I think is the test. I hope means I'm still growing in in a good way. And you know, we wrote part of the book during the middle of the pandemic, um, when no one knew what was going to happen to church. We still don't, and so it's full of a lot of questions, some that we certainly haven't answered yet.
0: Well, that's always the heartbreak of of authorship because you live in this this faith. You know, we call it sanctification, which is just the process of being born again, again and again. And you look back, and you know, you have those really aha, you know, defining moments that make you feel like you were probably not a Christian before that moment. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) you know, it's always a risk then to kind of put that to paper and to to get the thing published because it lives in that certain era before certain eras of sanctification that, you know, you you just have to kind of soak it in. So it's where you were at that point in your life and uh, God used it in in an awesome way. So we're going to talk about all that today. Before we do though, um, for people from uh, Southridge and uh, leaders who track with us, Can you guys just kind of introduce yourselves and give us a little bit of your background, so we can kind of orient ourselves to where you're coming from in this conversation today? Sure. Um, I am a a
2: lifelong Chicagoan, uh, suburbs of Chicago, and had the privilege of being a part of helping to start uh, Willow Creek Community Church way back in the late 70s. Um, I was a high school kid and uh, helped that the team that started the church. I was in and out a bit with college, but then I joined the staff of the church uh, full-time in 1984 as the church's first, what they call the programming director, which is essentially overseeing the area of the arts. Later on, I also became the first uh, female teaching pastor there and served in that capacity for a bit. Uh, I did that all for like 20 years. It was a grand adventure, highs and lows for sure. Um, and then I transitioned to the Willow Creek Association, which is now called the Global Leadership Network, but I worked with them for about five years, building a network of arts leaders around the globe. Um, and that was also a, a wonderful experience. And then, uh, I resigned in 2010. I sensed that it was time for something new, a different season, and I became a leadership coach. So that's what I've been doing pretty much ever since, um. I coach individuals as well as groups, and I lead some cohorts, and I still do some speaking and teaching. And it's, it's been a season, I think, mostly of mentoring, which is what I think it's supposed to be as you get older. Hopefully, you can uh, turn to the next generation and encourage them and maybe share a little bit of lessons learned the hard way. So that's mm. what my professional life's been like. I've been married to Warren for 41 years Uh, Can't believe that. And uh, we have two daughters. Samantha is the older one. And uh, I'll let her tell you about herself. And then I have a younger daughter, Johanna, who is single and still lives in the Chicago area.
0: And you and Warren, with whom I've been friends for a long time, uh, you guys are still chin deep in local church activity, aren't you?
2: Yes, yes, we are. We're kind of... uh, can't get away from it. I think, uh, our areas of service are so different. He's a business guy who mostly served in the area of compassion, justice, uh, type ministries. Whereas I was all about the, the weekly gathering. So real different arenas. Um, but it's been a wonderful partnership.
0: And Sam, what's your story?
1: Well, I grew up at that church that my mom helped start. <laughs> and, um, and discovered there, really, a love for the arts and theater in particular. Went on to study that and spent the last decade pursuing a career in the entertainment industry as a playwright and actor. And occasionally um, coming in and creating, you know, the ch- churches would hire me around the holidays when they wanted something a little extra creative or fun. And so I, I enjoyed engaging in that way. But it wasn't until the last two years that I started to do feel a pull and a call back to ministry through the process of writing this book and uh, joined our, our, the church I was a part of, joined their team part-time in a, as a creative director, but now I'm stepping into a, a full-time ministry role at a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and looking forward to that adventure. I'll be an associate pastor there. and I'm married to Will, who is an Enneagram 7, which is a lot of fun, and he's also a teacher, And we have just had our first child, Eloise, she's six months old, and we have a dog as well.
0: Fantastic. Do I even want to ask what the conversation with mom was like when you were considering (laughs) full-time vocational ministry?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought she'd be excited, and she was so (laughs) nervous. (laughs)
2: She's like the least
1: enthusiastic of everyone. Uh, You know, the
2: mother bear in me. You know, I know that church work can be incredibly fulfilling and also potentially painful. And so part of me wanted to say, why don't you just volunteer at the church? I'm not sure you need to work at one. But on the other hand, uh, I'm excited for her. And I think this is a really good place that she's going to become part of their team.
0: I mean, I've been involved in local church work for now almost 25 years. And my kids aren't at that stage where they're considering vocation yet. But uh I think, you know, knowing the good, bad, and ugly as a parent, mm-hmm. never mind as a mom for your daughter, like yes. there's gotta just be a are you bleeping kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's, that's a better reaction. way to put it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I would have I would have paid to be part of that conversation. But <laughs> I, I, I feel like I do get a chance to at some level because Uh, you've written this book and written this book together, which is just a, 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 not just a cool idea, but a beautiful picture of uh, intergenerational dialogue that now we get to be part of uh, in this work that, like you said, releases today called Next Sunday. And I'm curious to get into this, what we're going to talk about today. Where, like, what's the backstory? Where, Where did the desire to create this resource even come from?
2: Well, in 2019, I was asked to speak to some Christian publishers, and they assigned me a topic, and they asked if I would talk about the future of the church, which I thought was daunting, and who knows, and you know, very audacious to even think I might have a, a point of view. But I began to work on that and gave that talk, and afterwards, some of the publishers asked if I'd ever be willing to write about it. I've always been sort of a reluctant writer, honestly, and I was chatting with Samantha about it, who's very much a writer. And she said, well, what if we did something together? And that really captivated my interest because I thought, what would it be like to have a dialogue from a baby boomers perspective, which would be me and a millennial uh, looking at the future of the church? Um, So that's kind of where it started. And we decided to figure out what distinctives we think are most important for the church going forward. Now, anybody could come up with a list and they might have some other ideas and maybe even some better ideas, but we picked seven and we each wrote a chapter on each one of those seven distinctives.
0: Right, the the, the concept of the book is that this distinctive gets essentially an, an article or a chapter worth of your perspective combined with then a chapter worth of mm-hmm. Sam's perspective. And so you can kind of compare and and contrast, because right. I, I assumed, Samantha, that you weren't just bringing the writing gift to the to the conversation, that you had some opinions about the church yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. I did, I did. I and, mean, you know, entering into it, my mom and I had talked about a lot of this, but it was also neat to discover on the page what each other really thought and where we were at in our own process and growth.
0: It's almost like a, a, a public journaling exercise, of yeah. sorts, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we would hit send on a chapter and be like, "Here we go." Did you know I think this <laughs> <You> now?
0: <laughs> so for the two of you, like, if I ask, you know, what 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 was your goal for the book? Um, what would you say? Were you kind of on the same page, or did you have different hopes or or dreams for it?
1: Um, I think we were sort of on the same page. We hoped that, you know, my mom was having a lot of conversations with her friends who had adult children who had left the church and, and some of them too, who had struggled, who had, you know, been a part of church their whole life. And were now in a season of struggling to find a place where they were excited to worship and be part of. And I certainly in my time, especially as a full-time artist was exposed to a lot of people who would consider themselves deeply spiritual and would never set foot inside of a church. And so, you know, I think we came together to explore why some of that might be, and try to honor those stories. And but also, we both have great investment in the future of the church, and so and we still have hope. And so, it's an attempt to hold um, both of those truths—the pain and the hope. And so, we hope it'll be a gift to church teams and leaders, but it also just folks who wonder what the church could become and whether it still has anything to say.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Both of you have lived through you know eras after eras of very good and bad and ugly uh, when it comes to local church life. And yet both of you are on trajectories that are increasingly invested. Mm-hmm. And it's just in a lot of ways, so against the grain of what we're seeing these days. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think the Barnas of the world would cite that the, the fastest growing segment of Christianity is the Dunn's. I'm done with church, I'm done with organized religion. And I I, I guess kind of off the hop, what would either or both of you say to people who are giving up on this idea, let alone this institution or this community called the local church?
2: I think, uh, first of all, it's very understandable. I I think we need to have some empathy for some people who have experienced church pain. Um, so if you've known a level of church pain, um, it's kind of hard to imagine signing up for that again, potentially, you know, trying again. Um, so some people are in a season of healing. Um, but we wrote primarily to help people see that there is reason for hope um, in the headlines, you hear mostly about the churches where there's been a moral failure or there's you know some disaster or some big division or some financial impropriety or something like that. That's what gets all the attention. Meanwhile, there are some wonderful churches of all sizes uh, all around the world filled with p- good people who are simply trying to do their best and bring some light into their community. And I see this all the time. And I... I'm greatly encouraged by the fact that the huge majority of churches I think are doing the best they can to be a reflection of the love of Christ uh, right where they're, right where they're planted. So we have hope, but we also understand people who are on that uh, brink of giving up
0: and saying no
2: more, you know?
0: And for you, Sam, like as a millennial, you kind of have generational wiring to be you know anti-organized religion (laughs) anti-institution and so what 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 draws you into that and what would what would you say to the person who's you know even in even if they're into Jesus but not into church what do you say to that person
1: well I think we have been given a lot of reasons to be disillusioned and distrustful of a lot of our systems and institutions and um I think that's led to some really healthy questions and processes and i'm grateful for the ways in which i think my generation has started to re-examine things um but in of course that applies to the church as well you know my encouragement would be um let's get in the game i think if we are sitting on the benches and and critiquing which um we're very good at um And long for it to be, have the longing still for it to be something that we dream of it becoming. I would encourage, I mean, the church is what we make it. And having been a part of a much smaller church the last few years where we had a real small team. And when people would come forward and say, gosh, I wish we had a ministry to serve this group of people we would say, yes, make it happen and, and support that. And it was such a neat way for me to discover churches really made up of who the people are. It's not just the staff that determines the culture. It's, it's all of us. And so I would encourage people to help build the church that they dream
0: of seeing. Yeah. Be the change you want to see in the world. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, with that forward view, uh and the two of you you can popcorn this however you want like we're not going to have time to get into all seven chapters but in the way that these chapters speak to your collective sense of some of the main features of you know what the church of the future looks like um maybe pick one that you feel like is either most sort of for sure for sure we need to pay attention to this or Uh, most near and dear to your heart, that I I hope the church grows in this direction Um, when it comes to some of the significant things that you see in the future church that you write about in this book called Next Sunday?
2: Well, I'll start because uh, the chapter that I think uh, reflects a great deal of um, priority, in my view, uh, talks a lot about your church Jeff, actually, um, Southridge. Um, It's the chapter on external focus. And it's the question that your church asked years ago that said, you know, if we disappeared tomorrow, would anybody in the surrounding community even notice? And I think that is a hugely compelling question and one that the next generation is, is asking the most. I think they're not just asking what is, you know, the experience like on Sunday morning. I think they want to know, is your church... Uh, involved, rolling up its sleeves, doing anything to make the community uh, healthier and stronger and uh, to meet the needs, particularly of the under-resourced. And so uh, Samantha has discovered that that's been the number one question of her generation. And uh, that chapter to me is hugely important. Um, Samantha, maybe you could describe that experience you had, um, at soul city church, uh, a few years ago that really, I think uh, illuminated this.
1: Yeah. I had a group of friends that, um, I'd been inviting to church unsuccessfully a few times and, um, One Sunday, Soul City canceled church and said, we're all going to go out and serve the city in different ways. And I had signed up to volunteer at a a homeless shelter and got a text from the group leader that morning that we were short on volunteers and could anyone bring anyone with. So I texted that same group of friends and said, you know, um, shared that with them. And it was about an hour before we needed to show up. And all seven of the people I texted came to the homeless shelter um, on a Sunday morning with almost no notice. That was such an easier invitation than asking them to come through the front door of a church on a Sunday. And it was very revealing to me.
0: Yeah, we've called it a a new front door. And for us, the, the wrestling match today, you know, in the last kind of 10 or 15 years where God has helped develop, we call it the third leg of this table. Normally in churches, we're in this two step of gatherings and groups and gatherings and groups and living out that 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 dynamic heard someone once say when all has been said and done a lot more has been said than done and (laughs) you know how can you operationalize and facilitate that third leg of the table that doesn't just extend the love of Christ in compassion and justice ways but actually provides in addition to that the experiential discipleship the learning by doing that triggers the aha switch of really understanding Jesus that Number three, serves as an evangelistic front door for people outside the church way more accessibly than trying to soup up your Christmas service with extra programming sizzle because you're going to, you know, draw them in that way. The the, the missional kind of focus, the missional presence and that opportunity to live that way of life is is huge. Um, Absolutely. Anything else that you want to speak to when it comes to? you know, that that dynamic or maybe other chapters that you, you referred to?
1: Yeah, you know, the chapter that I think could have probably been three chapters. I mean, all of these are a survey that merit much deeper study. But um, chapter six, we talk about the church's history of exclusion and oppression and the kind of reckoning that we're seeing in many parts of our society today. But as we learn to listen to those voices that have been uh, disenfranchised and not in the center of our stages historically. And I think that my friends, I won't speak for my whole generation, but my friends are wondering if the church is doing that same work itself. And I think that for me, to have hope in the church of the future means that the church is going to be looking backwards and owning the part that we've played in some of the division and around matters of race and around excluding LGBTQ folks and these difficult questions, even, you know, disability justice. And- a relationship to indigenous people. I mean, there's just a lot of hard questions in history that we need to sort through. And I think sometimes I hear the church rush to reconciliation without doing the work of lament and confession and listening. And so um, that that's really heavy on my heart, I think, as something that really matters to the people I know and that would build back a lot of trust if the church were seriously in that
0: conversation. Mm-hmm. And Nance, how does that resonate with a a boomer church person?
2: Well, um, you know, again, I can't represent all boomers, but uh, for me, um, the last several years have been a personal wake-up call to some of these issues. And I've had to revisit some of my assumptions, and I've chosen to be curious and not assume that everything I thought uh, is necessarily exactly the way it is. Um, I've done a lot of reading, reading about racism, uh, reading about from my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and uh, conversation. And I am engaged in this dialogue of saying, you know what, um, I'm. I want to be humble. I want to listen, and I want to frequently say, you know what, I could be wrong. You know, I'm not sure if the if the way that I always believed, or was taught is the only way to look at this. Um, so it's caused me to revisit scriptural passages. It's caused me to ask a ton of questions. And even in the writing of this book, um, I felt like I was learning uh, and, and hopefully growing. And owning, you know, we're two white women who grew up with privilege, um, owning the fact that I have a very limited lens on, on how I look at the world. And I also want to... Um, experience that lament that Samantha talked about because whether it's something I've done intentionally um, or whether it's something my ancestors um, were also a part of, I still want to be a part of confession and repentance and moving forward Mm
0: -hmm. in a healthy way. It it begs the question then for me uh, about how you kind of envision or understand leadership for the future. And I know both of you, but especially you, Nance, working with the WCA and the GLN, like it, you, you've had a huge heart for and a huge focus on leadership and how churches are led and believing that followership is what it's all about. But leadership is really a, a, a critical component to churches thriving and reaching their, their, their full redemptive potential. What are some of the differentiations in how you see leadership of local churches in the future, because I'm sure you have a picture that's very different from the past eras that we've grown up in.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, um, our last chapter is really all about church culture, and uh, leaders obviously create a culture. They're they're primary primarily responsible, I think, for how healthy a culture is, and what we've seen in the last uh, several years is how easily it is to create a celebrity kind of culture where um, a a very dynamic, charismatic leader, um, usually it's been male, um, is leading this organization. And underneath it, there's a lot of fear and a lack of true accountability. And uh, I I had to take a hard look at myself and my own capacity for narcissism, for thinking that I'm somehow entitled in some way because I'm a leader somehow maybe an exception to certain biblical guidelines and we all have to take a hard inner look and, and say, what, what do I think about leadership? And I have really done a reckoning uh, to say that, you know, if, if, if the ultimate leader is a servant and if the ultimate leader is a person of humility, many of us have gotten off track and many churches have propped up leaders in unhealthy ways So I think there's a lot of work being done these days on that. I'm not afraid of leadership. I think churches need leaders, but we need uh, humble, godly, curious, open, and uh, generous leaders. By generous, I mean generous with the pulpit, generous with development of new leaders, with developing new voices, particularly minority voices. Um, there, There needs to be leadership, but it needs to be of a different nature in many ways than what we knew a
0: decade ago, hmm. Sam, how does a millennial imagine or uh, kind of prophetically see local mm. church leadership in the future?
1: I had one of the conversations I had for this book was with my friend Sarah Grace, who has uh, grew up in church and hasn't really gone back. And she, she, I thought she captured it well. She said, "I just can't believe." the ego that I, I'll take a chance and go to church and, and someone comes on stage with just so much swagger was the word she used. And, and then she claims to have it all figured out. She said, I don't know how anyone doesn't start their teaching by saying I could be wrong. I, this is my experience that I'm going to share with you with humility. I mean, and I, I don't think she's off the mark for what a lot of people feel when they walk into our churches these days. And so I too agree. I, I agree with what my mom shared. I think it's, I hope we'll see uh, a more diversity of voices. I hope we'll start listening to the voices that we haven't seen on stage as much in the past. And I hope that um, that all of our leaders will develop this deep humility and curiosity and lead with that um, of, and be a force of love uh, rather than a um, force of belief and adherence to beliefs as, a, as the first thing that people experience when they come
0: into your church. It's interesting too, because you know your previous comments about the kind of church you imagine, like they they really go hand in hand and play off each other. Because it feels like that the more, I know certainly in our experience, that the the more (laughs) decentering your ministry is, and the more sensitized you are to those who experience far more marginalization than you and your privilege, and the more you experience the reciprocity and the mutuality of you know, those voices as image bearers and, and, you know, yes. glimpses of what the heart of God is like, you know, the, the more it, it changes, not just the Sunday centric skill yes. sets of leadership, but even the actual voices and and contributors to the conversation. And, and then that in turn changes the perspective and direction of your church, which in turn kind of, you know, upward spirals, I would say in you know, a, a, a greater uh, kind of equilibrium of diversity of, of voices. And so to, to just take one step in one of those directions uh, kind of bears fruit in, in starting to get that spiral uh, working upward. And it's, it's, it's exciting to see. Absolutely. Uh, I guess you're, you're, so the two questions, if I put them together, you know, the, the vision of leadership for the future and kind of this vision for the church, w- Where do you feel, you know, you talked about lament and you use the word, Nancy, repentance. Where do today's leaders need to kind of wake up or most lament or repent in order for themselves personally and their, their church communities to become these beacons of the light and love of Jesus to a greater degree in the future? Wow. That's a
2: big question. Um, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, well, there's all these different, um, areas where, you know, fault lines or whatever, where I think we, we need to do some healing and lament. One is just in regarding gender. And, uh, we have a chapter about men and women leading well together. And again, um, I applaud your church and I describe some of the intentional work your church has done on this, but there's been a lot of pain um, all over the landscape of churches um, in terms of the role of women, the opportunities for women. And not only that, um, just the, sometimes uh, the joking, the, um, inappropriate it doesn't have to be all the way to abuse to be to be troublesome i mean there's just many levels of the gender divide so that that would be one certainly the racial divide is is huge and uh sadly church history sh- would show that Sunday morning is still in many places the most segregated hour of the week and to be uh one one pastor said that he did a survey of us churches and only 14% would be considered truly racially diverse, meaning not just a, a few minorities, but um, truly diverse. So I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, much work, much, much work to be done with the LGBTQ community. It's probably the top question that I get asked in my coaching these days um, about this and how churches can go forward. And again, it's something that you, your team has wrestled with. So there are, there's no limit to how many fronts uh, of work that we need to do. And I think each church needs to, to almost do an assessment of, you know, where are we healthy and where is there pain? Where is there the most pain that we need to move toward, not deny, not run away from, but move toward
0: in an effort to heal. Sam, how about in your generation?
1: Uh, I, I agree with the, the areas that she touched on. And, I, you know, I would just add that I think so, some churches seem to have a fear that they're going to become like real negative and downers by living in this land of lament and repentance. And you, you brought up, you know, how do we also include the joy and the hope that, that we proclaim? But to me, they really go hand in hand because when we act, when we um, submit to this practice of repentance and confession and lament, we're also naming that this is not what God dreams of, that this divisiveness, the oppression that we've participated in um, is not what we're called to. And so it's an imaginative act to also imagine that there's a better way and that we, it's an act of faith to say we, we see it, we believe in it, um, but we're going to do the necessary work to get there. We're not going to be able to just start there. And the other truth, the other encouragement I would just offer is that my friends are all doing this work in their own, in their own way. Like, I think we're, we've seen this kind of cultural um, moment in the last few years, sparked by the death of George Floyd, you know, far too late. These, these, These things have been going on forever, but it has sparked this moment where people are really seriously reading and trying to educate themselves and think more critically about the systems they're part of. So, so what a gift to be part of doing that in community. And I think it's sacred work. And I think if the church were really seriously undergoing it, people would be grateful for a, cha- a place to, to do that work and um, shepherd them in it.
0: It's a it's a really counterintuitive concept, and I hope the leaders listening, never mind our, our church members here at Southridge who, who track with this conversation are, are listening, because I know in, in our context, the way that we t- try to describe it, our leadership style, we refer to as the bottleneck approach, So every time we're on a retreat and looking around, we'll say like, what's the greatest bottleneck right now, getting in the way of us becoming more like Jesus, which sometimes gets reframed as, where are we sucking the most? (laughs) And it can really be, uh, at at first glance, a downer of a conversation. But when you view it as the bottleneck and just removing the bottleneck, the, the way that it can accelerate your pursuit of Christ and your likeness of Christ and your experience of the abundance of Christ. Yes. When you do that a few times, you become less afraid to stare at the scariest, ugliest yes. you know, parts of yes. who you are and who your community is that need the greatest repentance. And that doesn't yes. mean we're 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 still not blind to areas that we need to repent or that we've you know, been fully sanctified far, far from, but it, it just, you know, as you do that, it's a counterintuitive concept that, that, you know, if I avoid those ugly parts, I'll become more like Jesus. No, actually sometimes by addressing and staring those ugliest parts in the face, it, it accelerates your becoming like Jesus uh, in yes. a way that you would have never believed. So Absolutely. Man. I'm wondering yeah. as, uh, as we wrap this up, I mean, I could go on all afternoon with you guys, But, uh, you know, kind of tying this up, when you think about our church members uh, at Southridge and even the leaders who track with us that are listening, uh, a final encouragement from uh, both of you in whatever order you want, when it comes to just ensuring that the church shines brightly for the future. You have that hope. I certainly have that hope. The leaders at at Southridge uh, share that hope. For people listening, how would you encourage them?
1: Well, I can start as the younger of us. I I would just say my encouragement is that I actually think my friends are looking for something a lot like church. I don't really know of any other institution in our modern society quite like um, a body of faith. People want to be a part of community. They want to be broken out of their algorithms that are just helping us only find people who think like us and have a lifestyle exactly like us. We know that's not healthy. You can tell, you know, we're here in the U.S. You can tell by the state of our country how divisive that's formed us to be. So we want to um, stand shoulder to shoulder with people we wouldn't otherwise meet. We want to be part of transforming our community for the better. We see the suffering maybe more than any generation before. It's before us on the internet, 24 seven. We are listening now to the voices of those who've been hurt and we want to help. And we need guidance and a place to come together and be effective in doing so. And we know that we have our own transforming work to do. And so I look at the church and see, wow, what an amazing place for people to Uh, come and get to do that work together. And so my hope would be that it's unique um, and be encouraged. It can be um, as beautiful as we dream of it becoming if we all uh, commit to making it so. Good luck topping that, Nance. That was phenomenal. Yeah, that was, absolutely. Well, you
2: know, Scripture refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And Sam mentioned making it more beautiful. And I just think I would say to each and every member at Southridge, every attender, I would say, you know what, you have a part in that. So we all can contribute to making the church more beautiful, more loving, more kind, more generous, more radiant. Um, Every time we show up, we contribute to the culture. The culture isn't something that's handed down from on top exactly. The culture is created by everyone. And you want a place, I've always said, that I want to be a part of a church where the closer you get to the center, the more love you find, the, the more like Jesus you discover it to be um, rather than the opposite. And so I would encourage every single person, don't be a critic. That's the easiest thing for any of us to do. I've done it myself. It's easy to stand on the sidelines and point fingers and, and all of that. Convert that energy into saying, what can I do constructively to make this a more beautiful place? And if all of us would do that, one life at a time, um, the church would become breathtaking. It would be stellar. It would be stunning. We would stand back and say, that's what God had in mind.
0: And that's what I want to be a part of. Hmm. Amazing. Uh, Ladies, thank you so much for giving me some of your time on a huge day in the life of both (laughs) of you and your family. What What a great celebration. Know that those of us up north are, uh, are celebrating with you and uh, just really appreciate your tireless commitment to sharing the vision and heart that Jesus has uh, for his bride in a way that can inspire us for the future. Really appreciate you giving us some time today. Thank you,
2: Jeff. Uh, and thanks God for having us. You. God bless you. And all right. the best
0: with the book launch. We're cheering you on. For those uh, who are listening, next Sunday uh, is what it's called. You can find it on Amazon. We've got a couple copies roaming around Southridge right now. If you want to borrow one, you can, uh, talk to me about it. We'll, we'll, uh, make it available to you as well, but, uh, make sure you check it out. It's super inspiring and, uh, we're looking forward. I hope we can, you know, six, 12 months from now, check in and see how some of these predictions are, 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 uh, are playing themselves out. Cause I know in your context and in ours, uh, we're trying to figure that, that out, which is what, uh, Uh, certainly makes these conversations so fun. We call them uh, finding our way together. And uh, that's what Mm -hmm. certainly as a local church and as a a leader's village we're about. So thanks guys for being here. And thanks to all of you uh, for listening. Again, we'll see you in seven days time. Take care, everybody.